Seated. Well, happy Father's Day. Uh, you fathers are really excited, I can tell. <laughs> Looks like you need some bacon in you. I don't know. Maybe that's what we need. But, uh, well, I, I do want to welcome you on this day. It's a special day. Um, it's always for us dads. And uh, I want to start with this. I, I think that you would agree with me that one of the best feelings that we can have as parents is when we make our kids happy. So I just want to ask you, think about this. What have you done to make your kids happy? How many of you have, I don't know, ever bought a bicycle to make your kids happy? How about this one? You got a kitten. Every idiot, I mean, every parent <laughs> willing, you know, to do that, um, <laughs> just to make your kids happy. Uh, I was in Anaheim this week, um, which is supposedly the happiest place on earth. And uh, how many of you have ever taken your kids to Disneyland, even though you hate theme parks? Would you raise your hands and say amen? You know, uh, just to make your kids happy. Maybe you spend money on some electronic thing that's not really worth what it costs, but it makes your kids happy. And, and to be honest, you, you feel uh, happy too because they jump up and down with excitement. And, you know, as parents, we love those moments because we want our kids to be happy. Today's message is a different kind of a Father's Day message. And it's about this. It's about how sometimes some of the seemingly good things that we do in our kids' lives can end up undermining their spiritual foundations. It's kind of a message of a warning. And it's for dads, because it's Father's Day, but it's, it's also for moms. And, and maybe you're here today and you're saying, great, I don't have kids. Well, the message is still for you because you have parents. Can I just check on this just to be sure? How many of you here have parents in your life, you had a parent somehow, okay? I don't mean they're living, I mean you had a parent. That should be self-evident, right? Because you're breathing air. You didn't get here, I don't know, through hatching um, or something like that. So we all have parents, and, and it may be that you are gonna hear some things today that will help you understand uh, some things about yourself because maybe the way you were parented undermined your spiritual growth as, all, as well. You see, one of the most common and one of the most destructive choices that parents can make with their kids is this. It's when we say, I just want my kids to be happy. Uh, I think we've all said that at one time or another. And my guess is that most of us, want, we want more, more than that, even if sometimes we live like that's all we want. We want our kids to be happy. But I wonder if you realize the potential damage that's embedded within that desire. Let me tell you about a couple of people that I have met as a pastor over the years. Details have been changed uh, to protect me, <laughs> She's a 30-something woman whose marriage is under stress because of financial decisions that she and her husband have been making now for years. And in her frustration, she kind of whines to me, what did I do to deserve this? As if her whole life was supposed to be happy. As if her whole world was supposed to be rainbows and unicorns and blue skies and desserts without calories. Everything she thinks is supposed to work together for her personal happiness. And when it doesn't, she gets mad at God because God's not doing his part. I wonder if any of that came from the way she was parented, the parents who raised her. Another person, this is a man almost 40, he's cheating on his wife. And he knows exactly what the Bible says about adultery. But literally, this guy says to me, I just think God wants us to be happy. And this makes me happy. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I probably was thinking other words that I shouldn't say, like from the pulpit. Are you kidding me? What, what about your devastated wife? And what about your kids who are going to suffer the fallout of your happiness for the rest of their lives? Do you really think that 
despite how clear God has made it in the Bible that fidelity is what is best for us, that is best for community, that is best for flourishing, do you really think that you are above all of that, that what really matters is you need to be happy? So where does this kind of thinking come from? Well, if we were to trace it back, we, we would go all the way back to the beginning of, uh, of each person's life, you know, when we were all born, because like Adam and Eve, we were all born with a sinful nature. We were all born with this idea that the world, the entire world, well, it actually revolves around me. And we kind of experienced that from the beginning of life. You know, everyone who's had a child ever, we know how that works, right? It's 2 a.m., the baby starts crying, and everything revolves around the baby. That's the way it should be when there's a baby because we do crazy things in the middle of the night to make our baby happy. But have you ever noticed that some of us never get cured of that? And sometimes the baby never gets cured of that. If you've ever been the parent of a teenager and they can't see beyond the end of their nose, you're, you're just thinking something has to change here. You have to realize, child, that the universe does not revolve around you. See, part of God's plan for us as parents is that we help our children move from, from thinking that they are the center of the universe to realizing that they are not the center of the universe. In fact, let me just put it this way. Your job as a parent is to guide your children to shift from a man-centered to a God-centered view of the world. That's your job. But a lot of parents don't do their job. A lot of parents actually can't do their job because they don't have a God-centered view of the world themselves. And too often today, because parents don't have a God-centered view of the world, a lot of parents in our culture today end up putting their kids in the center of the world and they live kid-centric lives. And here's just the reality. God created all of us to be worshipers. Everyone is always worshiping something. All the time. Everyone. Because we are made in God's image, we're wired to worship. And here's the reality. If God is not the one that we are worshiping, if God is not in first place in our lives, where we're worshiping him with all of our lives, here's what happens. Whatever we treasure most will move into that place of worship. And we actually always end up worshiping whatever it is we treasure. And if you're a parent, it's natural for you to treasure your kids. It's right. But sometimes, too often, parents move into a kind of worship of their kids. And, uh, you know, most of us wouldn't admit that. Uh, we, we wouldn't say that, especially not in church. But I want to ask you some questions. What will you do to make your kids happy? How far would you go? Would you spend money you don't have and go deep into debt to make your kids happy? And that's not a rhetorical question because I know for a lot of us the answer to that question is yeah because we've done it many times. Would you forego doing what God's word says, saving for the future and you be unwise with your finances? Would you dishonor God by refusing to take the first part of what he gives you and return it to him, but you spend it on your kids and you tell yourself you're spending it on your kids and therefore it's okay because you want to make your kids happy? Would you yell at a coach because he didn't let little precious play enough? Would you show your animosity toward a teacher who's challenging your child because now your child is, is not happy? Here's one. Would you lie to your spouse? Don't tell daddy. Don't tell mommy. Just to make your kid happy. And I hear the nervous ripple of energy going across the room with that one. Would you put your child's will above God's will in your value system. So the truth is about you. The truth is you're more concerned about pleasing your child than you are with pleasing God. 
So I want you to think about this. It kind of flows out of the, the thing I just said. We wound our children when we worship them. We wound our children when they are at the center of our universe. We, we're wounding them. Do you understand that? And here's why. When we worship our kids, when our kids are in a place they were never designed to be, uh, we are reinforcing their sin nature. We are, we are undergirding the self-centeredness that every single one of us are, are born with. We are, we are reinforcing the innate assumption that the world revolves around them, that it's all about their happiness. We are teaching them the very thing they do not need to be taught. And that's not what we should want. And it's not the way, it's not the way God created the world to work. It is his world, so he's the center, not us. Now, I say all this because I'm setting up kind of a, a picture for us as we go to look at a, a passage of scripture that's really uh, all about this shift from a man-centered view of the world to a God-centered view of the world. It's a very familiar passage. It's in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet. Maybe you know this. He lived around 750 years before the time of Jesus. And, and in this passage, he is addressing a world that has gone wrong. And his whole message is that God is at the center of everything. It's all about God. And I think if I were to uh, put the whole message of Isaiah into a sentence, it would be this. Life is about God and about God's glory. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 6. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 8. And in this passage, what happens, and you're going to see, is Isaiah the prophet, he sees God in a way he's never seen before. He sees him for who he is, and it changes everything in his life. Beginning in verse 1, Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, 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 is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And this is the word of the Lord and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now this passage it really is amazing. And um, I mean, we could do months and months and months on all kinds of uh, incredible, profound truth in this passage, you know, realities about who God is, about, about who we truly are as, as fallen and sinful people, uh, things about grace and about forgiveness, about our mission in this world. But today what I want to do is I want to look at this passage and, and see what it teaches us as fathers first, as, as parents in a broader sense, about how we can shift our, our kids from a man-centered to a God-centered view of life. What do we learn here that, uh, about life being about God's glory and God's supremacy in our lives and, and not about our happiness? Uh, there's four lessons I want to show you that, that teach us a, a God-centered view of the world. And I want to frame them as four lessons we need to teach our kids. And if you don't have any kids, well, these are lessons just for you. you, can, you we, we all need to learn them. And, and here's the first one. Uh, teach your kids that sometimes life is hard. Sometimes life is hard. And, and, and for many of us, has this ever happened to you? Life has to get hard for you to get your attention. 
to get you to look to God, to see God for who he is. That's actually exactly how the passage starts. And maybe you didn't notice it, but it's in those first words where it says, in the year that King Uzziah died. So, so hit the pause button on, on this. In the year that King Uzziah died, if you were a Jew living in Isaiah's day, you would get exactly what Isaiah was saying. It would, it would mean something maybe a little like this for us today. In the year that COVID-19 hit, and that year, when the world seemed to change. Or if you go back a few more years into the past, maybe we would have said in the year the Twin Towers fell. When terrorists flew those airplanes into the World Trade Center in that year, when everything around us seemed to be falling apart. Isaiah says in that year, I saw the Lord. And here's why he references King Uzziah. King Uzziah had been the king for 52 years years 52 years think about how long that reign is that that that's that's longer than i've been living <laughs> which is a lie this is why you're laughing it's not funny people but it's a long time, right? It's longer than a lot of you have been alive. There were people living in that day who had never known a day in their life when Uzziah wasn't king. And, and for most of his reign, the economy was good. Jerusalem was being built up. The military was strong. The people lived with protection and safety. They were even taking back some of the territory that once they had, had lost to their enemies, the, the Philistines. And in all of this, there was just this overriding sense of calm and peace. Because Uzziah was the king. Now, if you read the whole story, maybe you know Uzziah had some problems. It, his, his life didn't end up in the best place because his pride took him to a bad place. But overall, during his reign, people were living with this sense of, of peace. But then he died. He died. And, and so what happens when the king dies, when the world changes? What happens in your life when the circumstances of your life go south, what do you do when you lose a job? What do you do when there's a problem with one of your kids? How do you respond? And maybe it's just something simple. You know, how, how do you respond when your car breaks down and you just don't have the money to pay for it? What happens whenever challenging circumstances come your way? Now, here's what happened for you, for Isaiah. Isaiah turned to God. Isaiah wanted God, so Isaiah goes to worship God, and he says, in the year that everything was going south, I looked to heaven, and I saw that even though the king was not on his throne, the real king was still on his throne. And that's a place, here's what I want you to see today, that is a place we will never get to if we think that life is always about us being happy. We're never going to get there if we think that our purpose as parents is to make our kids happy. We have to think biblically, and biblically the Bible says we live in a fallen world. The world is broken because of sin, and by the way, it includes our sin, and because it's broken by sin, life is hard. We need to teach our kids that. Isaiah also learned a lesson, a second lesson we need to teach our kids. It's this, teach your kids that when life is hard, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Dads, here's what I want to ask you directly. Do, do you, dad, do you believe that? And here's an important question to add to that one. Are you teaching explicitly teaching your kids that and then on top of that are you living that see it's not enough to say oh yeah i believe it you're you're in church everybody says uh-huh god's sovereign i i i believe that it's not enough are, are you telling your kids that truth are you helping them to understand it and are you living like that especially when life is hard for you you see, Isaiah's prophecy teaches us to see that the whole world is centered on God. And when we see that it's centered on God and when we see that God is always sovereign, it gives us peace even when life is hard, even in our trials. Wouldn't that be a great 
lesson for your kids to learn. When trials come for people who just want their kids to be happy, they don't have peace. Trials, trials come, and, and we end up saying, what did I ever do to deserve this? Is God mad at me? Did I do something wrong? And usually the basic assumption is, you know, because I'm in the center of the universe, so God, that's his job, you know, to make me happy. That's what he's supposed to do. And if I'm not happy, that must mean God is not doing his job. Do you understand that unless you are truly worshiping God, which, which, by the way, doesn't mean that you're singing some songs for 15 or 20 minutes before you know, I get up to preach. Worshiping God means you're putting God in first in every area of your life. Do you understand that unless you're doing that, you're truly worshiping God, you cannot, you cannot see the world correctly. See, it's only when we worship God that we truly see reality. See, that's, that's why just trying to make our kids happy distorts reality, and it does for them, and it does for us. That's also, in case you haven't figured this out, it's also why we shouldn't give our kids everything they want. You realize that your kids don't want all the right things, don't you? They don't know what they truly need, what is truly best for them. And oh, by the way, this is not in my notes, but I just think I should have put it out there. There is not a person in this room right now who knows everything that they need and who wants everything that they need. Would you say amen to that about yourself? How many of you would say, thank God he didn't answer all my prayers? You know, we, we, we don't know what we truly need, and our kids certainly don't. And so if we are wise, what we will as parents do is we will try to form and shape what they want. And here's the thing. Do you understand? That's what worship does in our lives. When we worship God, and we do that through reading his word like every day, and then obeying his word, doing what it tells us to do, and then we, we spend time praying, talking to God, and let God speak to us. We do that when we gather with God's people faithfully. We do that when we submit our lives day in and day out to obey God, do what he says, that's when we worship God and that's when we begin to see him for who he truly is. And that shapes the desires of our lives because the more we worship God, the more we want what God wants, the more our, our wants are the things that are truly good for us. And we begin to see that God is more concerned about our character than our comfort, that he is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. And so when life is hard and trials come and we, we end up looking to God, we're able to say, God, in the year that COVID hit, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. In the year of my, my parents' divorce, I, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. In the year inflation spiked and gas cost six or seven dollars a gallon, whatever it's going to end up being. You know, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne in the year that I was diagnosed with cancer. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. See, Dad, I'm asking you directly, have you allowed this vision of Isaiah's, what the scriptures show us about God to shape you and to form you? And are you passing that on to your kids? Look, look again at verses one through four. Is God truly for you, for you, the, the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne for you, the train of his robe is filling the temple, this majestic vision of God? See, maybe, maybe part of the reason why your kids think the world is about them is because That's how you think. You're not living your life as if God is the center of your life. And see, when you see this scene in heaven, you see that it's all about God. I mean, we see these six-winged seraphim, these, these angels, and, and their sole purpose is God. 
They exist to worship and to serve God. They're these unbelievably majestic and powerful beings. You know, in the Bible, when anytime anybody sees an angel, they don't go, oh, that's cute. They fall on their faces in terror. But these incredible beings in God's presence, all they can do is worship. They cover their feet. They, they cover their eyes. They humble themselves before God. They fly before God. They are, they are flying around the throne because they are ready to do whatever God says to do to serve him. And they are proclaiming as they do all these things that God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. That everything he is, pure and righteous and good and loving, he is holy. Everything that, that we are not, God is. And that is why we worship him. And when we worship him, it changes everything. And I hope what you're seeing, dads especially, it has to change us as dads first. So dads, I just want to ask you, are you living each day consciously in the presence of a holy and sovereign God? Is there ever a sense in your heart, maybe you're never going to have an experience like Isaiah, but is there ever a sense in your heart that God is so powerful and so beautiful and so wonderful that it just shakes your doorposts and your thresholds? That your, your heart and your mind is like, like filled with the smoke of his holy presence. I was thinking about this this week as I was working on this message. You know, one of my concerns um, in preaching this about, you know, we're not supposed to make our kids happy. That some of you dads are going to go home and tell your kids, well, well, kids, Pastor Mike said life is hard, so you need to start sucking it up. No more happiness for you in this house. Here's what I want to say, Dad. It's got to start with you. Are you a worshiper? Are you living in the presence of God? Are you trusting him? And here's why I'm saying this. You, you, you cannot pass on what you don't possess. You can't give something to your kids if you don't have it. And so when we live in the presence of when we live in the presence of a God who is high and exalted, a God whose presence shakes everything, it is only then that we don't have to be shaken by our world. God is seated on the throne, and we know it. And so we know God is not shaken by our world, by our angry politics, by $6 a gallon gas, by war in the Ukraine. And he is not shaken by my marriage challenges or by my prodigal children or by my health challenges. God is not shaken. He is sovereign. He stands above all of that. Amen. See, when you see God is sovereign, it gives you peace. And it can give your kids peace even when life is hard. And so, will you hear that today? See, I know some of you need to hear that today because life is hard for you right now. And you can point to a whole long list of things in your life that are hard but will you hear today from Isaiah that God is on his throne and he is sovereign, he is in control and therefore you can live in peace and you can pass that peace onto your kids. Here's a third thing I think we can teach our kids coming from this passage. Teach your kids it is better to be holy than happy. It's better to be holy than happy. After Isaiah witnesses this heavenly worship of God, he sees the Lord. He, it moves him to speak, but, but he doesn't speak about God first. Do you notice that? He first says something about himself. And here's what I want you to see. When we see God for who he is, we see ourselves for who we are. And those two things have to happen together. They only happen together. You will never see yourself for who you truly are unless you see God for who he truly is. You're never gonna find yourself like our world tells us all the time. You gotta find yourself. You're never gonna find yourself until you find God. 
So we need to see God for who he truly is. And, and when we do that, what happens? Well, look at what it says in verse 5. What happens to Isaiah? Woe to me, he cried, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we see God for who he is, we think, woe to me, I am ruined I need God. I need him to put me back together. See, worship, true worship, always shows us who we really are. It shows us what we need. It's kind of an interesting thing because this is the very thing that keeps some of us away from church. We're reminded of how sinful we are, and we think, I don't want to go to church. Church just makes me feel guilty. And sometimes, yeah, I know some churches, they, they do that in an appropriate way. But do you understand that part of the reason you come to church is to see your guilt? And that's not a bad thing, especially if you're guilty. <laughs> and most of the time, most of us, we have some guilt that needs to be dealt with. Anybody want to say amen on that one? And so we, we, we need to see that. See, we, we need to see that. It's only when we come into God's presence that we can see who we, we, we truly are. I mean, just think about this. If I had a disease... I would want to know. Wouldn't you want to know? I mean, so it could be addressed. And so when we see our sinfulness, then God can forgive us. When we see our brokenness, then God can make us whole. And this is what must happen in our lives for us to get right with God. It is only when we admit our lostness and we say, God, I need you. I can't make myself right on my own. Here's what happens next in verses 6 and 7. Then one of the, the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's a great thing to have your guilt taken away. Amen? To have your sin atoned for. Do you know what that feels like? Do you, do you know? Do you, do you know what it feels like for all the weight of any sin that you've ever committed any time in your life? It, it's taken away. It's lifted off you. It has been paid for. You don't owe that debt anymore. Do you know that? For God to send his messenger to you and say, you're clean. Say, so we today... That's been done for us when God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came, the son of God, to take on himself our sin, to do what we could never do to atone for our sin. And that means today, especially if you're here today, you're feeling guilty, you're experiencing guilt, you, you have to come to Jesus. You, you have to come to him. It is only when you realize that you're guilty before him that you can receive his forgiveness. Isaiah later on in his prophecy, very, very familiar passage, would tell us about the coming of Jesus. This is chapter 53, verses 5 and 6. Isaiah writes, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, praise God, the iniquity of us all. God took our sin, all of it, and laid it on Jesus. Jesus died on the cross in our place. This is the gospel. This is the heart of the Christian faith. You cannot make yourself right with God that all of your good works, all of your religious deeds... You know, in the same way that the seraphim had to touch Jesus, Jesus alone can bring that touch of healing to your life that brings atonement and forgiveness from your guilt. Jesus alone is our hope. And when we, when we worship him, we realize we need him and we seek his forgiveness and we receive his forgiveness. And so I wonder, as a parent, if, if you've ever considered that it is your job as a parent, to help your kids repent and confess their sins to God and receive God's forgiveness. Do you do that? 
Do you understand that's part of your job as a parent? And this is not about browbeating them. It's not about shaming them. We talked about shame a couple of weeks ago. This is not about condemning them. This is about you, for you as a humble sinner yourself who needs forgiveness yourself to help them see their sin and to walk with them to the foot of the cross. See, you should be part of this when they first come to Christ and give him their lives. And you should be there day in and day out, helping them find forgiveness as little Christ followers along the way as they sin. And they will sin, right? Help them know what it means to be honest with God what it means to ask God for forgiveness, what it means to receive and accept his cleansing. Do you know what the best way is to do that? This is not on the screen, but you should write it down. Here it is. Let your kids see you repenting. Let them see you asking God for forgiveness. And I'm not saying you need to tell them every sin you ever commit but they need to know that you yourself go to the throne of grace and ask for forgiveness and cleansing make sure this is so important make sure you ask for their forgiveness when you sin against them are you humble enough to do that dad and if you're not and I'm just telling you straight out, you need to get in God's presence and you need to see God's holiness. See, it's way better, the Bible tells us, to be forgiven than guilty. It's way better to be holy than happy. And as we worship God, as we experience him, the, the, the good news is we will find what we are truly looking for, parents as well as kids. And in finding what we are truly looking for, we will find true happiness. Here's a final lesson we need to teach our kids. Number four, teach your kids to find a bigger purpose than their happiness. After God forgives Isaiah, after God cleanses him from his sin, God does this incredible thing. It's so incredible. Uh, He invites Isaiah to be part of his divine mission, what what God is doing in the world. Listen to verse eight again. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. So God calls Isaiah to join him in his mission in the world, what he's doing. And what is God doing? Well, in this text, God has people Israel, who are, who are straying from him. And when God's people stray from him, when, when people like us stray from God, God does not cast us aside. What he does is he works in our lives to call us back to him, to draw us back to him because we were made for him. And you know, I don't know, some of you may have landed here in this room today because God has been working in your life. You know, if you, you look around you, you probably can see God has been sending people into your life. And, and I want to tell you, he is working in your life. And the reason is this, he loves you. Isaiah is part of this worship of God. And so he's compelled to be part of what God is doing in the world. And that is always what happens in our lives when we worship God first, when we don't seek our happiness first. He gives us a purpose in life. He invites us to be part of what he's doing in the world. And that's what he wants to do with your kids. And parents, this is why this is so important. See, we, we lack the perspective that we need when, when our goal is to make our kids happy. And here's why. Do you understand that their happiness is just small potatoes compared to God's grand purpose, what God is calling your kids to be a part of, what he's calling all of us to be a part of? Happiness is so small in terms of what the world defines it. C.S. Lewis wrote these profound words. He says it this way, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. 
We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, here's the thing. When you aim at heaven, you always get earth thrown in. But if you aim just at earth, you're going to end up getting neither heaven nor earth. So when we, when we teach our kids to worship God, that God is the center, and when we, with our lives, serve others that show our kids that we're part of God's purpose in this world, we are giving them something bigger than themselves. Whenever we invite our kids into God's purposes, we are giving them something bigger than themselves. And I think you will discover when we do that, their souls will lean into it because they, just like us, long to be part of something bigger than we are. Something so great, something so enormous. We want to be something centered in God. I'm just wondering, maybe along this message, if some of you are kind of sitting out there, you know, you're thinking, ah, I don't know, Pastor Mike, don't you think we just ought to let kids be kids? Maybe, Pastor Mike, you need to kind of lighten up, chill a little bit or something. I don't know. Don't be so serious. Just let the kids be kids. And, you know, one day when they get old enough, they'll understand that they're not the center of the universe, that God really is. And then they can start thinking about other people as well. Well, if you think that way, I have two questions. First question is simply this. Are you just taking the easy way out because you don't want to do something that's hard? And then second, seriously, when does that happen? Second, it just doesn't work. Can I say that? That just doesn't work. When does the shift take place? I mean, we're, we're saying, you're saying that the shift's gonna happen at some point where it's not about them, that it's about God and all he's doing in the world, but, but when, but when? And, uh, you know, the truth is if it doesn't happen when they're kids, the odds are really good that it'll never happen. See, I'm telling you that this shift should take place at the earliest possible time so that they can live for God. I mean, why do you want to wait in anyone's life to start living the best way? Why not start now? See, their souls were made for something great. Uh, John Piper wrote these words a few years ago. He was getting at this. He said, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem. Why do we go? He says, there's a greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than in beholding self. And see, dads, here's the thing. You will bless your kids when you help them see that, when you give them a a bigger purpose because our happiness is small potatoes compared to God's glory and God's purpose in the world. And it is in God's purpose that we find our greatest joy. The author, Donald Miller, tells a story about a friend of his who was struggling with one of his kids. This story is a few years ago, and um, his daughter was dating uh, what this friend called a loser goth dude. And they had found some marijuana in her bedroom, and uh, this dad is just torn up inside. And, and so Donald's talking with his friend, and he tells him, he says, you know, I've been studying story these days, and, and I don't know if this applies exactly or not, but it sounds to me like your daughter is looking for a bigger story to be a part of than the story you've given her, that the story she's in right now, she thinks she's the cause of your marital problems, and so she wants to be part of a story where she can be a hero. And so she's dating this, this loser guy, maybe to help him. Her, maybe her life needs some adventure, you know, thus the drugs. And so Donald says, my question is, what kind of story are you providing for your daughter? And he kind of just let that sit. He wasn't sure how his friend would take it. But his friend called him back in about a week. And the friend said, let, let me tell you what I've done. 
I got my family together the other night and I said to them, I've done some internet research and I've discovered there's this village in Mexico that has a lot of orphans but no orphanage and, and some terrible things happen to the children, especially the little girls. And I said, uh, an orphanage in this village will cost about $25,000. He said, I told my family, I said, you know, we're in debt up to our eyeballs and I have no idea how we could do it, but over a couple of years, I think we can get an orphanage built. What do you think? And he said he hadn't talked to his wife about this beforehand, which, by the way, is a very bad idea. <laughs> and she first responded by saying, how in the world will we ever afford that? You know, but, but the friend, he's this kind of organizer guy. He's putting a whiteboard up on the mantle so they can write ideas. And, and he says, I don't know. Who's got, who's got some thoughts? And he said, well, that night didn't go really well. But two weeks later, he said his daughter came to him and said, Dad, you know that thing about the orphanage? I think I can put that on Instagram and I can let other people know about it. Maybe they're going to help become part of that story, you know, contribute to it. His younger son said, Dad, I know we're going to need passports to go to Mexico so, so I can begin filling out the forms. And then the mom came to the place where she said, you know, I, I figured out we can sell my car and we can use the money that we're paying for that to go towards the orphanage. And he said a couple more weeks passed by and his daughter dropped the boyfriend reason well, she was becoming part of a bigger story and and donald miller he he draws an application to the whole experience he says make no mistake parents kids are not coming up with their own stories we are we are coming up with their stories and i want to tell you today Southwinds, if the story you're telling your kids is the purpose of their life is to be happy you are coming up with a story that is so insignificant it's a story about an iPhone, a story about new clothes or some point maybe a car. It's just whatever they want now, but it's not the big story, the grand story, the story that has God in the center and a purpose that is bigger than life. And this girl, she wanted to be part of something bigger than herself, something where she had a purpose and she discovered to do that. She didn't need to date some loser guy. So I just want to ask you, what kind of story are you providing for your kids? I can guarantee you, whether they've told you or not, they long for a greater purpose in life. And God has given us all a purpose. And that purpose is about him. It's not about me. It's not about us. See, God forgives my sin because when I see him for who he is, I see that I need him, and I learn it's better to be holy than happy. And out of that, I experience God's peace, and that's true even when life is hard because I know that God is sovereign and he's in control. And if you have those things in your life, wouldn't you say, in the end, those things are far, far greater than momentary happiness, See, when that happens, when we put God at the center of our lives and we help our kids put him at the center of their lives, we are worshiping him. We're not worshiping our, our precious children. So I just want to ask you as I close, dads and moms, what do you need to do to worship God first? I thought that some of us might hear this, this message and think, oh, he's just trying to get me to go to church more because that's worship, right? Well, that's part of it, but it's not all of it for sure. There's a bigger picture. This picture involves you and your life being engaged in your mind and heart you know, with God and who he is and, and, and asking how is it that in my home and in my children we can know that we're putting God first. And that'll include things like making some challenging decisions to put God first in the schedule, how you use your time. You know, worship is not something you do when you don't have a better offer on the table. You make God a priority. It's gonna mean that you make, make God's word a priority. You're reading your Bible. Do the kids in your home see that in you? Do your kids ever see you praying? Do they ever hear your voice praying and saying to God, God, you are holy and you are worthy. You are worthy of everything that I have and everything that I am. And maybe, maybe it would mean in your life 
if you get some extra money, instead of going out and spending that money you know, to make you or your kids happy, you get the family together and you say, hey, kids, God's been good. God's blessed us with some extra money, and we want to figure out a way to bless some other people. We want to figure out a way to advance God's purpose in this world and bring him glory. I've known a family that several weeks of vacation a year, as many of us do, and they have decided that uh, every year they use one of those weeks to serve. They do something to serve. It's a way to put God first in their lives and be part of his mission. See, what will this mean about your family's involvement in things like sports or other kinds of competitions? Any, anything that is so consuming that it preempts the rest of your family's life, anything that is so consuming that it keeps you from engaging with God and serving, with, serving God, you make that other thing first. See, I don't pretend to know the answers to all of those things, what they will mean for you. But if God comes first, you have to ask and answer these questions. You have to make sure that God is at the center of your life and that you're inviting your children to join you in that journey of worshiping and serving God first above everything else. So you can invite your kids to be part of a story bigger than the story of just a dad and a mom just trying to make their kids happy, just creating that American dream that in the end does not satisfy their soul, that in the end does not matter five minutes after they die. Or you can put God at the center and can lead your kids to do the same. I wanna ask you if you bow your heads as we pray. As we, we think about what God has said to each of us today, would you just uh, focus in on God right now? Father, we, we have gathered in this place because we are people who worship you. And Lord, some of the people in this room maybe are seeking you, wanting to know who you are and what you want of their lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us see you truly for who you are and out of that experience to see ourselves for who, who, who we are. To know your love for us, to know you sent your son for us. Lord, I pray for men and women who are parents to love their kids so much that they don't worship them, but they worship you. And I pray that would be so obvious in our homes, Lord, that we in our families would join in with your purpose in the world. God, I ask that you would do all these things here at Southwinds so that we might be a people who give honor and glory to you because, Lord, you are holy and you are worthy of our worship. Lord, we can only pray these things because of your son, Jesus. And so it is in his name that we ask these things. It is in his name that we lift up all the, the different prayers that are being lifted up across this room right now. It is in his name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people together say, amen.